Hello, welcome to 760 UN Plaza. My name is Maher Oweda and I am a student at UC Riverside studying international affairs as well as conflict studies. I am joined today by... My name is Ryan Jordan. I am a student at Irvine Valley College and I am a political science major. And so today's topic is going to be on the topic of autocrats in the age of COVID. As you may already know, the world is facing a wave of right-wing right-wingers all over the globe. Uh, one third of the world currently lives in a backsliding democracy. And so we're going to highlight some of the cases we're seeing around the world between domestic ones as well as international and what their effects may have. All right, so to begin, we have the case of Viktor Orban. Viktor Orban is the leader of Hungary, and essentially, he at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, he granted himself emergency powers, emergency powers that are not so easily given up. And this is kind of a big deal because these emergency powers don't allow for accountability to take place and essentially undermine our institutions. And it's just one in a long line, but it definitely will have repercussions for years to come. Ryan, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Mr. Orban? Um, so Victor Orban is a very interesting case within um, Hungary. He became the prime minister in 2010 during a very like turbulent time for the country. And since Mr. Orban has come to power, he has basically turned Hungary from um, a functional democracy to basically a, a system of oligarchs that are all uh, uh, obedient to Mr. Orban. You know, he's been uh, handing out EU contracts and EU grants that are meant uh, for for the country to build up its infrastructure and to like really help with the the poverty line within Hungary. But Mr. Orban has basically awarded all these government contracts and grants to just like his cronies or like his buddies who have amassed like massive amounts of wealth during this. I believe one of the oligarchs right now is on Forbes is like top 50 most richest people in the world list right now. And it's somebody who, you know, majority of the world outside of basically Hungary have no idea who they are. Um, and really since the pandemic started, he's just like amassed even more and more and more power, basically stripping the courts of any power that they have as well as parliament. So Hungary is really backsliding very very hard right now and unfortunately there's not a whole lot that the eu can really do since there are at least a few other countries within the eu to that don't really want to like vote out or kick out hungary besides like hungary like leaving like the eu themselves which they obviously don't want to do because they get massive amounts of grants and uh, funding from the European Union and the European Commission. Yeah, it's definitely, it, it's a lot to take in for sure. And especially given Hungary isn't usually the central player on the world stage. A lot of people actually don't really know what's happening there right now. Yeah, so it's also worth noting how, as I mentioned earlier, while we are talking about these institutions being undermined, 
Uh, a prime example of this is actually seen in Benjamin Netanyahu's um, uh, rea reaction to the pandemic uh, in Israel. So Mr. T Mr. Netanyahu has been facing an ongoing uh, corruption scandal that's essentially plagued a lot of his time in office. And with the, the coming of the pandemic, usually a pandemic could be seen as the last thing a leader wants to see in their country. However, Mr. Netanyahu's case, it's actually served him. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu, is, uh, he's essentially shut down the courts, citing for, reason, for reasons we, we've seen already, that there's too much, like there's too much gridlock that we're not able to uh, serve the people effectively. And so essentially he's been able to uh, interfere with this case that actually uh, happens to uh, involve him. And so it's, it's concerning to see this happen, especially when we want to see uh, these justices, such as the courts being unaffected by the people they're trying, so to speak. If, for instance, if the, the, the jury also has this, if you're at a trial and the jury has a say in your case or is, has a major role in your case, you'd be very concerned uh, if they were to interfere, so to speak. So Mr. Netanyahu has been facing a lot of criticism for this. So it definitely hasn't gone without checks. Uh, people are very, very concerned with him. They're concerned regarding his reaction to the virus, but we have yet to see what, how the consequences of his actions will play out for sure. It'll be worth seeing in, in the end of 2020 after the new US um, president is elected, uh, we'll be seeing who handles that relationship carrying on. And I think it goes without saying, we should probably address what is the elephant in the room. When we talk about autocrats, we tend not to really refer to democracy such as the United States. But in this case, we ought to because uh, President Trump has, he's taking this really bold stance regarding the election. Ryan, if you want to uh, jump in, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. Mr. Trump has definitely had a lot of, shall we say, like flirtations with autocratic tendencies and downright almost becoming an autocrat himself. On the international stage, he has definitely favored uh, autocrats around the world a lot, a lot more than he has favored his democratic uh, counterparts, specifically with Russia, with Vladimir Putin and with the North Korea of Kim Jong-un and even somewhat to the extent of Xi Jinping of China. And with his recent remarks about, you know, suggesting that maybe we postpone the election, which he immediately backtracked after Congress uh, immediately rebuked it from both uh, sides of the aisle. But you know, even the suggestion of postponing the election has never come out of any sitting president or any, any retired president either. So this is just a complete, uh, just 180 from what a sitting president has done, as well as, you know, some of the crackdowns that have come against the protests that have erupted across the United States from, you know, uh, Homeland Security and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, as well as the National Guard and the military, especially with the scene that happened in Lafayette Square and the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staffs, uh, General uh, Miley, saying that, look, I shouldn't have been there to begin with.
but then I shouldn't have been there, especially within his battle fatigues. So having, you know, your chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Statch, you know, going against that he shouldn't have attended an event, like these are like big picture events that happen that have really begun to shape the conversation and the public perception of the White House now and largely the United States abroad. Um, and, you know, partly it does go without saying that the United States is included within that one third of the world uh, is it is within a backsliding democracy. We definitely have begun to see um, some of the like the telltale signs of a backsliding democracy within the United States. Um, and a lot of mounting both domestic pressure and international pressure on the November 3rd election within the United States. Definitely. And it goes without saying that while we think that uh, authoritarianism can never happen here in the homeland of, well, as we say, the homeland of the free, home of the rain, grave, um, it is really just, it, it's fascinating to see, really. It's pressing somewhat, but it is worth keeping an eye on. And so that goes to the show for the domestic tendencies of autocrats. We're seeing this undermining institutions, granting of emergency powers, and even even suggest, suggesting postponing an election. And we don't know if Mr. Trump was to postpone the election, we wouldn't really have a clear idea of when that would be, because an autocrat does not want to they tend not to have a peaceful transition of power. More likely than not, they're either in office for life or removed via coup, which they want to avoid at all costs. So definitely worth yeah. keeping an eye on. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'd also like, like we said earlier, of how like it's been very interesting that the United States throughout its entire history has only had one form of government, which is the representative democracy, which most countries on average at least have a few different governments come into power they usually uh flip-flop between democracy and autocratic rule um you know there's not many outliers for countries that have kept the same form of government for such a long time and such a and since its creation really um so it's very i think partly a little bit of naive for Americans especially to believe that just because we have always lived in a democracy doesn't mean that we could switch forms of government. You know, it's always possible for any uh, state to change its form of government. You know, it just depends on how strong those institutions, those democratic institutions, values and norms hold up to uh, a rise of a different form of government. It's, I'm actually really happy you brought that up. It's really important that we stay aware of what's happening because even if we think it doesn't, can't happen, impossible even, it could happen. So we have to remain on top of it. So that goes to show for the domestic side of things regarding the autocrat's quandary regarding COVID. So let's move on to something that transcends borders. We're talking here about international effects of COVID. So a case I want to bring up was actually North Macedonia. North Macedonia is actually the newest member of NATO. Uh, and being the, this new member, they are actually at great risk for, of um, foreign interference. And so currently North Macedonia is, well, they're at risk due to Moscow. They're, they are located on the border of Serbia. 
they are constantly at threat. They face um they have an Orthodox Christian group as well as a minority Muslim group in the country that have uh have their have had their tensions inflamed in recent years. And so their situation is proving to be one that could destabilize the country. And Moscow is seeking to exploit this. So it's curious enough to, or, or it, could be, uh, it could be worth looking into, for sure, that Moscow could inflame these tensions and p- perhaps install someone in their country that could uh, install a figurehead in their country that would be friendly to the Kremlin. Uh, sim- I mean, they, they've already done that in the United States regarding having a figure that's friendly towards the Kremlin. So it'd be worth seeing how that works because NATO is very concerned regarding the Russian in um, the Russian threat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, basically all of the area of the former Yugoslav Republic, so which would be you know Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, Albania, uh, the newest member or the newest member of NATO now, North Macedonia, as well as the contested territory of Kosovo um have always been like moscow's like sort of backyard like background play area that they've been trying to exert more influence and really raise a lot of you know either racial or cultural tensions between a lot of the states because a lot of this a lot of these states are built have their borders around ethnic barriers and uh racial and minority barriers and it is always it's i mean this is something that moscow always tries to do and not just within the balkans but of course right with on its build or right with on its borders with um belarus lithuania latvia estonia and as well as exerting more and more influence especially deeper into poland and especially with the the russian enclave or enclave slash exclave that is right next to poland as well so it's Really, NATO has been the biggest, like, strategic advantage that the Western states have had against, uh, well, against the Soviet Union and, of course, against Russia. Um, And recently, with uh, Mr. Trump's move to pull troops out of Germany and station them into Italy and Belgium, um sort of there have been two narratives that have emerged from that one is that trump himself says that germany isn't paying its dues so this is like a slap on the wrist even though italy and belgium pay a lot less into nato than germany does but the pentagon is saying that this is uh strategic to like reallocate our troops as you know russia isn't going to be rolling tanks into berlin tomorrow but largely Italy and Belgium don't offer much more of a strategic advantage um, and the fact that also a lot of our a lot of the missions that come from the Pentagon towards the Middle East and uh, Northern Africa happen out of German airports so it's 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 a very interesting issue and a very interesting step and of course Mr. Putin is you know, as like we always like to say, is that he's a chess player, and so he's always a couple steps ahead in what he does. And he really has been trying to build more of Russia's soft power recently, because all Russia essentially has right now is hard power um, to really exert any influence. So they've been trying to build at least somewhat of their soft power, mainly through like 
their cyber units within the GRU and most notably, you know, infiltrating the United States' election and tipping the balance of where the election would go, as well as in other states, especially within its border states of Belarus, Lithuania, Latvia, and uh, Estonia, and obviously most notably Ukraine. Yeah, so it, it seems that really NATO is being threatened by this Russian, like I said, like, like I said earlier, this Russian influence. And what's interesting, though, is that in the age of COVID, as each of these countries are struggling to contain COVID outbreaks, as we've seen, um, they, they're also facing this threat because this is a threat that they're least expecting or they're, they're least prepared for right now because a lot of the effort is really being uh, implemented or is being diverted to address the pandemic. So Mr. Putin's move to, well, like I said, influence these, influence uh, policy and influence the country of North Macedonia, as well as Mr. Trump's move to remove himself from the, remove his, the US presence from uh, NATO has really just been, like something worth just investing, investing more time into looking into. Because truly what's going to be the result of this is while COVID may not remain forever, giving up ground to an autocrat could uh, potentially empower them for who knows how long to come. That the impacts of these actions will long succeed um, this pandemic. So we covered domestic and we covered the international effects of COVID. And looking back on all these, it seems that really uh, it's it's a great time to be an autocrat right now. Uh, even if you're looking at like Mr. Uh, Gurban Guli Mohammadov in Turkmenistan, who is um, <laughs> he is a interesting figure, Ryan. Um, I know we're we're kind of nearing the end of our time here, but. What I found interesting about Mr. Rukhamadov is he it plays it exactly like an authoritarian would, uh, trying to establish this state of uh, superiority and legitimacy. We've seen with his denial that there are any cases of COVID-19 in Turkmenistan. However, despite the fact they border Iran, by the way, which has had massive outbreaks, uh, despite this, though, Mr. Bermakovinov, he still believes that masks are important, but not so much to combat COVID, which, like I said, he claims is under control, but rather to combat the threat that is the dust in the country. So, like I said, autocrats will take shapes in and many different shapes and forms. Where Mr. Mr. Bermakovinov is just endangering his people and cementing his hold on power for years to come. So, I, know, I just thought that would be a fun thing to listen to, Ryan. I don't know if you have any like last thoughts or anything you wanted to add. Yeah, the only other like last two uh, countries that we maybe should have spent a little bit more time on would have been Brazil and Turkey, and specifically within Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, which there could very well be a coup within Brazil or a government collapse just because of how massive the failure of the government has been to control the virus, as well as Bolsonaro uh, promoting hydrochloroquine for treatment of COVID-19, which obviously not a treatment for COVID-19 and we do not recommend anybody taking hydrochloroquine unless otherwise stated by your doctor for a different reason such as an autoimmune disease 
or Valeria. But yeah, there very well could be a government class in Brazil. It is not, the government is not stable at all, and very well the military could come in and take over within Brazil. And just one final thought, also just about Turkey and Erdogan within Turkey, is that Turkey is also very much sort of stabilizing, sort of not stabilizing. It is in a very interesting position where still the country is split 50-50 between support of Erdogan and not support of Erdogan. So it's it's been very interesting, especially with Erdogan's shift towards much more of a sort of, I guess how he coined it as like a cultural rebirth of Turkey and much more of integrating religion back into the state and not having a separation of church, uh, church and state within Turkey. And most notably of his shifting of the Hagia Sophia mosque from a museum back into a fully fledged mosque. So, you know, it's very interesting to see where, where really Turkey is going because of all some pressure from the European Union but also uh, sort of support, sort of pressure from the United States and NATO, as well as Russia, Russia's interference, as well as starting to creep up, and most notably with Russia's, of course, annexation of Crimea. Of course. All right. Well, we def- I definitely had, think we had a great discussion here today, and it will be really worthwhile to come back to this topic in the future and see how things have um, progressed from here. All right. Thank you all for listening. Of course. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan, for being with me here today. Thank uh, you, Maher. If you'd like to connect with us, we are on Instagram. Our handle is 760UNPlaza. We're also, if you're interested in American politics, we also have another podcast called First Street DC, where, we co- where we're currently covering the United States election for 2020. All right, my name is Maher. My name is Ryan. All right, and you'll see you soon.